0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, February the 9th, 2023. Regular viewers, listeners to the show know that I have a a particular interest in words. Some words become fashionable and they reflect our society and vice versa. One of those words is empathy. We're always talking about the E word. And another is the A word, uh, authenticity. We've done lots of shows on it. We did one, for example, with Sabrina Horn, who has a new book, Make It, Don't Break It, leading with authenticity for real business success, um, We did a show with Edward Sullivan about something called Authentic Conversation. Uh, I've written some essays on out-hoaxing the hoaxes. Uh, I'm somewhat suspicious, skeptical in many ways of what we might think of as the cult of authenticity in our digital age. Um, it's all about being real, whatever that means. Um, and we're talking the A word today, as well as the I word. Uh, there's a really interesting new book out called "The Influencer Industry: The Quest for Authenticity on Social Media" by my guest Emily Hunt, who is a research affiliate also uh, at the University of Pennsylvania, who's joining us from just outside Philadelphia, near. Uh, my daughter in Mawr. Emily. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So the A word. We're going to talk about the E word, empathy. Although I'm sure there are, there will or there are books connecting the cult of empathy and the cult of authenticity. Mm-hmm. But how? Wh- what do you mean? Uh, we're going to get to influencer uh, uh, economics, the ind- uh, the influencer industry, in a minute. But why? Uh, why is there an industry an obsession with this quest for authenticity in our social media age
1: so something that um i discovered as i was writing this book i should preface this by saying that i went into this research project almost a decade ago not really thinking about authenticity very much. I was really interested in influence and uh, because that word influence, influencer was starting to become uh, such a buzzword. And um, people, you know, digital content creators were seemingly buying and selling uh, their alleged influence. And that is sort of what drew me into the project. And then over time, as I was studying the space, I came to Discover that what they were really doing it was assessing and selling authenticity, and authenticity. Um, it's always been a word with a very slippery meaning. Um,
0: By definition, uh, Emily. Any yes. You know, I associate <laughs> the word with um, my old friend Ariana Huffington. My 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 analysis is the more people use the word authentic, the less authentic they actually are. Right. Which may not be very kind to Ariana, but that's another story. (laughs) Um,
1: Yes. And that is sort of what we have seen happen over the course of the last decade plus uh, that the influencer industry has developed. Um, Authenticity has really always sort of been at the heart of it. It's sort of been like a driving uh, value. Uh, of the people who work in the industry, and then it was sort of transformed into the central commodity uh, of the industry. Um, and this happened in, um, you know, there there are lots of different factors uh, in, you know, how this actually happened. But I think the um, the key sort of shift in the the role of authenticity in the space. Came when the when the industry started started to expand beyond sort of the initial people who were involved. Um, in the book, I get into kind of the the early. Uh, sort of the the birth of the influencer industry if you will well, and, let's and, get
0: and, um, <laughs> uh, let's get to that birth um emily let's do some history you <laughs> you trace all this um the influence industry very much bound up uh, entangled with the history of social media mm-hmm. are they essentially the same thing is social media and the influence industry are they all dealing essentially with the same thing the same commodity of one kind or another
1: Um, I mean, the influencer industry, of course, is wholly dependent on social media. Um, And we know that, um, you know, other other researchers and writers on the subject have, have sort of shown how authenticity has always been sort of an animating ideal of people who work in Silicon Valley. And so especially if you look at sort of the history of Instagram itself as a platform and its you know, desire to position itself as a place where you really share yourself and, and be real. Um, authenticity has, you know, there, the, social, the social media industry generally and the influencer industry, uh, you know, are really, you know, they're very intimately bound up uh, And the
0: intimacy is, to me, is fascinating because the logical assumption would be, oh, well, um, uh, the technology resulted in... Um, in what you call the commodification of, of, of influence or of authenticity. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming that cause and effect aren't quite that simple, is that fair?
1: Um, no, I, it's, not, it's not quite so simple. I, um, part of what I try to parse in the book is, uh, is um, just how many people and organizations were involved in this process. Uh, And they were not only working with each other and, and, you know, competing against each other at times, but they were also trying to continually like assess and respond to what was going on, you know, culturally, um, at the time. And so through that, um, they sort of landed on these, um, new definitions of authenticity, if you will. But, um, authenticity in the influencer space is is constantly changing it is still not like a stagnant uh, or stable
0: doesn't it by definition it's by as you suggested it's such a slippery word It has to be Mm -hmm. changing because Mm -hmm. it's a mirage it's not real by definition i mean once people talk about authenticity then the whole notion of reality quote unquote is up for grabs
1: right and and authenticity, um, you know, it's not to say that nothing is real or nothing is genuine. um, But people have different ideas about what authenticity means and you know, have forever. Um, Authenticity has always sort of been thought of um, as a social construction. So something that you know, people sort of determine the meaning of and it changes uh, depending on context and, and who's involved at the time. And um, and in the book, I, I try to make the case that in the case of the influencer industry, authenticity has become an industrial construction. So it is not only something that people in groups are sort of uh, grappling over and changing the meaning of constantly, but it is something that is intimately tied to um, the need to make money off of it. Uh, yeah,
0: this is a, I don't know whether you'd call it a a Marxist critique or certainly a sort of Frankfurt School critique. And before we get to that, let's, let's define what an influencer is, because we haven't even got to that yet. You've written this book called The Influencer Industry. I mean, there have always been influencers throughout history, Emily, haven't they? Why do we even mm-hmm. assume that influencers these days on social media, on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter are any different from the influences in history
1: so the difference is this industry that underpins them so of course in history there have always been influential people famous people um things uh, you know people who are well known for for a variety of reasons um and the difference now is is the um sort of very um, crass, if you will, um, measurement and sale uh, of their influence. You're allowed to Um, use
0: crass on my show. If you didn't use crass, I'd probably throw you off. (laughs)
1: Um, But yeah, and so, you know, again, like taking the long view of of history, the idea of influence was always sort of um, thought to be not quantifiable, generally. But there's
0: always been a a, a celebrity um, industry. I mean, we've had Thomas Frank on the show, mm-hmm. brilliant cultural historian. Uh, his book, The Conquest of Cool, Business Culture, mm-hmm. Counterculture, and the Rise of Hip Consumerism.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know when that, that was written, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Is this ultimately coming out of the pocket of the counterculture, which... We've done shows on um on the relationship between the counterculture and the digital revolution from mm. from, from counterculture to cyberspace in particular a book by uh, Fred Turner of Stanford mm-hmm. University. I'm
1: sure mm-hmm. you're familiar with that book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that I, I would draw I, I don't think I would draw that line directly for uh, to the, the, the counterculture, um, at least in the way that uh, Thomas Frank has written about it. But um, I will say a, a critical piece of of influencers um, today, you know, of social media influencers is yeah positioning themselves as sort of outside the mainstream outside of um you know traditional media institutions or traditional uh cultural institutions you know however true or not that might be for for the individual you know claiming that identity um you know that that is that has been a very consistent um narrative uh in that influencer sort of uh propagate uh, across time, even though, you know, the industry has changed dramatically um, in the short time that it has existed. Um, So who are
0: these people, Emily, these (laughs) these influences? They don't necessarily have a great reputation, I found for researching for this show, a headline from uh, the New York Post of a very blonde woman doing a selfie. And we're not sure whether the whether she's real or not. Do they deserve the bad influence? Is it all all blonde women staring into their iPhones for selfies? (laughs)
1: Uh, It it is definitely not. Um, But uh, that is certainly uh, a part of the industry. And I think it was an even more, perhaps more significant part of the industry um, at earlier phases of the industry's development um, that, you know, these sort of stereotypical, um, like women, I guess, who sort of met these very stereotypical, you know, beauty ideals, thin, blonde, white, uh, long hair, you know, there I I did an analysis with a colleague like, eight, seven or eight years ago, where we looked at, um, you know, the sort of the top ranked influencers of the time, and we were looking at how they presented themselves. So we looked at their Instagram images, their their bios that they post, um, their captions, all these things, and looking at how do they present themselves. And one of the things that came through in our analysis is the vast majority of these top influencers at the time, again, seven or eight years ago, were, um, they were almost all women. um, And they were also like very much majority, you know, fitting that sort of look that you just shared. Yeah, I
0: mean so what would be the difference say between the Kardashians and an influencer? I mean the Kardashians their history goes back before social media. Are they also typical influencers?
1: Um, yes and no. I think Kim Kardashian, of course, is sort of held up as like a touchstone for of influencers. And if you're explaining what an influencer is to someone who is totally unfamiliar with it, I think she's an easy person to point to and say, okay, she's a person who shares a lot of content on social media. She very carefully constructs like her personal brand. And she partners with um, a variety of, of other brands to sell their products and uh, create sponsored content. So um, in that way, yeah, she, she is an influencer, she and her siblings um, are influencers. Um, but the, but the difference, I guess, is that it's, it's sort of her um, stratospheric level. <laughs> you know, most people are not uh, operating at the level that she is, um, as far as the size of the following, the size of the brand deals the access she already had you know to um in other industries like fashion and you know tv and and all of these things so um so she, they're you know the kardashians are are not your average influencer but they are certainly they certainly uh uh work in the influencer industry right, they are the are-
0: the influencers of the influencer industry emily yeah. i know <laughs> your book is a is a narrative it's not some i like like this idea of the quest for authenticity, which is very abstract and hard to pin down. Your book is quite concrete, which is why I like it. You have a, an argument about the economic circumstances that triggered the influencer industry. Tell us about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I look at um, the recession uh, that began in you know 2007, 2008 as sort of the last straw, the match that lit the dynamite, if you will, uh, for the birth uh, of the influencer industry. So there had, um, there had already been, you know, the groundwork had already been laid that, and I, that I get into it in that first chapter. Um, you know, we, are, we did already have the, you know, the beginnings of um, social media, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitter had already been invented um, at this time blogging had been growing um in size every year although it was still you know a relatively small um endeavor but it had been growing software like blogger had you know made it much more accessible so people were already sort of using the internet in this way um, we had um you know already a celebr or you know a culture that was very um interested if not obsessed in you know celebrity and personal branding and things like that um we had uh and also the sort of struggling print uh media industry um that was you know incentivizing advertisers to like to look elsewhere uh for places to spend their money and and get their messages out and so but the really like the the influencer industry i don't think would have developed in the way that it has or maybe not at all if not for uh the recession because... so a lot of
0: people in very simple terms a lot of people were lost their jobs, uh, mm-hmm. lost their homes, perhaps during the Great Recession, two thousand and eight, two
1: thousand and nine, mm-hmm.
0: and they had to do something. So they bec- mm-hmm. they they aspired to becoming influencers. Is that fair?
1: Well, influencer wasn't really a thing yet, so they didn't. Right. They, this so first what did they describe
0: of, themselves as? Social media uh, personality. A lot of them
1: thought of themselves as bloggers um at that time and they were using um or you know or perhaps have a youtube channel but um they were using these social platforms because they were looking for work um they were saying okay if i if i put myself out there online someone will see me someone will hire me um you know to consult or maybe in a full time position or whatever, or maybe at least I can network with other people like me who are unemployed or underemployed, and I can just keep myself afloat somehow. Um, And that is what drew a lot of these people online. Again, this was in a time where there was a lot of optimism too about social media. And so that was it seemed very promising to uh, put yourself out there online and you know, see what see what happened. And so uh, a lot of people, especially people who were creatives in some way, um, uh, started doing that, and they were able to develop, uh, you know, loyal followings. And- but,
0: but here's my question: Why did the cult of authenticity grow? Why? I, I I I buy your argument about the history of social media going essentially from bloggers to influences but what is it about our culture or the internet that led to what you call the commodification of authenticity
1: so in some ways it was i mean with the obvious backdrop that we are sort of living in a in a country that has always sort of valorized the authentic you know we we sort of look up to people who claim to be themselves you know whether or not that is true, sometimes it's, you know, impossible to judge, but we, uh, we like it when people seem to be themselves. Um, And uh, in as the influencer industry developed, like I said, this first sort of wave, being an online social media influencer was not yet a thing. And so this first wave of people really were they were trying to keep themselves afloat in the midst of, you know, all this economic turmoil then they suddenly have following, suddenly brands are saying, Hey, what if I give you uh this purse or what if I pay you to to put can I take an ad out on your blog or whatever? And then uh so this first kind of generation, if you will, of influencers was um I guess more genuine, if you will, in that sounds like a lie
0: because when the when the advertisers were paying them to display a purse or a brand of food or makeup, they didn't often reveal it. So a lot of this industry was based on, I mean, if you want to be kind, marketing, if you want to be truthful, mm-hmm. lies. Isn't mm-hmm. that fair?
1: Well, yeah, yes and no, because I think part of what bolstered influencers' um, sort of public perception as authentic was this, the stage was kind of set in this early era when a lot of these people were like there's the story that they were sharing that i didn't start this blog to make money it it kind of was true because they didn't know it was possible to have a brand sponsor your your blog because that wasn't really an established uh norm so there was some truth to that um in some truth to their own personal narrative that they were putting out there I just fell into doing this work, you know, like I, I never sought this out. I'm just out here being me. Um, and this has come to me. There was some truth to that.
0: There's um, a religious quality to this. We did a show <laughs> on, um, we've done a number of shows on American Christianity. There seems to be a very intimate relationship between the history of American Christianity and this kind of influence economy, many are called, fewer chosen, the, mm-hmm. the, the cult of authenticity mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And mm-hmm. the way in which certain types of people are attracted both as players and as audience.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, hadn't, I haven't thought about that. <laughs> um, but I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, that's certainly uh, a very interesting point. And in a very literal way, um you know the world of uh christian influencers and mormon influencers that is a very uh that is a very robust uh niche of the of the influencer industry and there are um there are some researchers and uh, writers out there who have really dug into that uh specific niche
0: so the internet maybe is the church of of influencers or the church of authenticity where are we now (laughs) right now um Uh, Emily, uh, I saw a headline that uh, advertisers are planning to increase investment in the influ in influencer marketing. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Blind leading the blind, probably (laughs) in many ways. Are are there one or two people you want to cite as quintessential players in this influencer industry, real influencers, if if that isn't a contradiction in terms?
1: Hmm. Um, you know, it's always so hard when I get asked for examples, because the influencer industry has grown so much. Um, there are, um, I mean, the, the, the influencers that I might cite to you, it's very likely that no one has, um, has heard of them because there is seemingly, you know, an influencer or not one influencer, but hundreds, if not thousands of influencers for every uh, sort of niche topic um and that is something that is um very uh interesting and also worrisome because the because the industry has grown so large um it has also become kind of out of control uh, and like when, again, when I first started this project, when it was first developing, it was very much a commercial space. I was looking at fashion bloggers and beauty bloggers and lifestyle and parenting and, and things like that. And it was very much people were posting about these sorts of topics and getting brand deals with brands who are involved in those in in those industries. Um, And it was, very much, you know, a, about commercial commercial messaging. Is it, is it kind of
0: like crypto um, in the sense that it's it's a little bit of a cultural Ponzi scheme? The early people probably, some early people made off like bandits, and then more and more people are sucked in, seduced by the, the lies and the promise, and very very few of them make any money. They quite literally, sometimes unfortunately, lose their pants online. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Is it a big scam, Emily?
1: Um, it, it <laughs> so the the popular narrative that this is like a thing that's accessible to everybody and you should just, you know, just sign up for, you know, make an account and start posting and you too could live this wonderful, glamorous life doing what you love. That is absolutely a false. Um, that is not a realistic uh narrative at all um it it obscures so much of the hardship um so that comes with working in this space it obscures how incredibly difficult it is to truly make it as an influencer if that's what you're looking to you know do for your work and sustain your life that is um it's incredibly difficult so that narrative is false um and um yeah and so yeah i i I uh, often say that it's like very easy to make a few bucks and it's like incredibly difficult to make a living.
0: In a way, it's like the gold rush of the middle of the 19th century mm-hmm. out here, where the only people who really made money were the the Levi Strausses of the world that mm-hmm. were selling instruments and clothing to the miners. And in this sense, mm-hmm. the people who have made money out of this are the original owners of Twitter and Facebook.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, and of course, uh, uh, tiktok we've done some shows on tiktok with chris stokel walker is that fair Mm -hmm. i mean is this the real the real beneficiaries of all this are the owners of the platforms who are selling advertising essentially off the back of all these wannabe influencers
1: yes i i think that is fair to say i i don't want to minimize the the influencers who you know because I've spoken to many of them people who are who have made it. And that is great for them that they have been able to, you know, make a living do working on content that they like, and it, and it, it does happen. But the overarching story of this is the story of social media companies, wresting power away from the individuals, um, and for themselves. Uh, Because again, when this began, the blogger, the early bloggers were sort of the powerful ones, even though they may have taken them a little bit to realize it. Um, Because when again, when blogs were the, you know, the main venue for this, they they own, you know, you own your own blog, you own your content. People, you know, advertisers were kind of really eager to get in on this and to spend money and then um slowly you know the industry more people come into the industry and want to take a piece of the pie marketing agencies there are just a million like countless marketing agencies who have inserted themselves in in here um to am i an
0: influencer emily how do i become one i need to make
1: (laughs) i don't know maybe i should take my
0: top off (laughs) <laughs> not Find on this show of of um, and uh, see
1: see what you what is the there
0: something you've on? talked to a lot of the influencers I mean, my wife and i have friends who have kids who now want to be influencers the mm-hmm. parents spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on their education and now they say they want to be influencers is there something mm-hmm. rather sad something existentially miserable about this shift in our culture so all these kids and it it tends to be a generational thing although of course there are Mm -hmm. slightly older people who want to be influencers too that all these people want to become influencers and they're lonelier and lonelier and more and more isolated
1: i do think that this is um the influencer industry has sort of changed the way that we look at ourselves and and look at each other um and they're it being sort of being inundated uh with this type of content constantly um i think it it cha- it changes how you think of yourself as you know a potential product or you know and having to be sort of yeah perpetually it, prepared to be on camera and share exactly with the, the it, it, space public.
0: if one of my oh. kids came home and told me they want to be a social influencer I, I i have to admit i would not be happy i would think i've failed as a parent so
1: yeah and it's, i mean this
0: idea as you say of packaging yourself up and imagining that everything you can anything you do can be photographed and sold online one way or the other
1: yes and influencers themselves uh, you know most of the influencers that i've interviewed for my book and also you know there have been other studies and surveys and things like that that have come out they they tell you that it is, you know, very hard on them mentally, um, you know, to sort of constantly be chained to this public performance and these pressures of presenting yourself in these in like patterned recognizable ways that, you know, that people recognize as being real um, and authentic, but also monetizable and um and not alienating your audience or brands or or things like that it's a it's a really taxing uh way to to live and work yeah i don't think
0: uh i think herbert Marcuse of the old frankfurt school or or adorno they would be turning in their grave and also smiling Mm -hmm. because it's exactly what they predicted would come Mm -hmm. out of what they call late stage capitalism although late stage Mm -hmm. capitalism seems to be just as healthy these days as it was back then Mm -hmm. finally emily um I wonder whether there's, again, a coincidence that technology now, the big thing in technology is chat, GPT, AI, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: which is increasingly making it hard to distinguish between the content of humans and the content of smart machines. We've done lots of shows about that. Joshua Browder, mm-hmm. who's predicting mm-hmm. the end of lawyers. Dean Koontz, the best-selling writer who says that AI will never replicate the human soul. Mm-hmm. uh then with my old friend Keith Tier we've talked about the ai age is it coincidental that maybe the next chapter in the influencer industry or maybe the final chapter in the influencer industry and this weird quest this surreal quest for authenticity is the birth of ai and technologies like chat gpt
1: yeah i you know that is something that is that I'm watching (laughs) with interest. It's and it's interesting to see how the industry has sort of leveraged AI already. Um, It's something that they have, it's really been for the last several years already, that particularly marketers in the space have been um, touting their use of, of in house AI, to uh, as a means of cleaning up the industry you know as a means of ensuring that the influencers that you work with really are the perfect influencer for your brand and vice versa and um, and things like that and it's they're using it as a means to exert you know this sort of facade of control over the industry and then on the flip side we have things like uh, you know, there's like c- the CGI influencers that I write about in the book. Lil Michaela is probably the most famous one. But again, she kind of emerged on the scene probably five years ago now. Yeah, so these uh, are fake, it, I
0: mean, these are non-human influencers, machine right, art, right, art right. influencers.
1: That's, right. But they have an appeal to brands, especially because they're easily controlled there. You don't have to worry about, um, them speaking out about a subject that you don't want them to, or, um. You know, doing something offline that then makes it into the news and becomes a scandal. Um, and so they, they do have appeal. Obviously, they have not, you know, gained traction, I think, in the way people thought they would when Lil Michaela first came out. But um, it's definitely something the, the industry is trying to figure out how to leverage for its own benefit and survival.